0: You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Good morning, friends. It sure is an honor to be here. The message this morning is called uh, The Heart of Tradition. The Heart of Tradition. Blind tradition, empty religion, and guarding the heart. And this morning's... Verses will be from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And the key thought is that mindless traditions have lost their, that have lost their true meaning and lead us sometimes into empty religion and a cold heart in the Christian life. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines tradition as an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior. Before we begin, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, may we be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. I pray this message will bring glory and honor to you. Help us to guard our hearts against this corrupt world. Give us understanding and help us apply this message to our lives. Give us the will to be obedient and do what your word teaches. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. First, a little context before we get into our passage. At this time, the ministry of Jesus was in full swing. This exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus comes on the heels of his teaching and the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. After that, Jesus walking on the water... To his disciples, and the healing of many around Galilee. When they landed on the plain of Benesaret, the men of that place recognized Jesus and sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought their sick to Jesus and were healed. Jesus was causing quite a stir in the region, and it seemed like everybody was talking about this uh, his teachings and his healings. We uh, read in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, First, you'll notice that the Pharisees and scribes came up to Galilee from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Evidently, the word of Jesus' ministry had reached the Jewish leaders down in Jerusalem because they put together a delegation of Pharisees and scribes, and they went up from Jerusalem to check out this preacher from Galilee that everybody was talking about. And it didn't take them long to find something to try to discredit him with. They noticed that Jesus' disciples dared to ignore their traditions and not wash before eating. Notice that in light of all the miracles and healings that Jesus and his disciples were doing, the Pharisees and the scribes were focused on their own religious tradition. It's like when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. The thing the Pharisees cared about was the fact that this miraculously healed man Somebody that had been infirm for 38 years picked up his bed and carried it on the Sabbath, thus breaking their tradition. Or how about when Jesus healed the blind man? A blind man who was blind from birth. Never mind the miracle. How dare Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath? How dare he ignore their tradition? I understand we all have certain traditions. Um, how we worship. How we pray, the music during Sunday service, the decorations at Christmas time and at Easter. We like our traditions, don't we? I can't th- help but think of that great line from Fiddler on the Roof. Right? You may ask, how did these traditions start? I'll tell you. I don't know, but it's a tradition. It reminds me of this old duck hunter I heard heard about. Um, You see, Bob was a man of tradition, and he was especially set in his ways when it came to hunting ducks. While everyone else was shooting these modern autoloaders, Bob liked to shoot an old Model 12 Winchester pump because, well, that's what he shot, and that's what his dad shot, and his father before him. It was tradition. Bob was also convinced that the only proper dog for hunting ducks was the Labrador Retriever because they were very strong swimmers, and, well, that's the only dog he ever hunted over. His family bred and trained championship Labrador retrievers for as long as he could remember. It was a tradition. Now, Bob's friend Bill, who was also an avid duck hunter, ignored Bob's opinion of hunting dogs, and instead bought a very special Portuguese water dog that he was sure would impress old Bob, and they invited him to go down to their traditional duck blind down by the lake. And it wasn't long before a string of ducks flew by, and they swung and fired, and a duck duck dropped into the water. Well, Bill's new dog sprang into action. He hopped out of the blind, and then he proceeded to walk across the surface of the water, pick the duck up out of the lake, and walk back to the blind and drop the duck. After a long silence, Bill just couldn't wait any longer, and he asked for Uh, Bob's reaction. So he finally asked Bob, so what do you think of my new hunting dog, Bob? Bob thought for a moment and then replied, your dog can't swim. (laughs) Just like Bob, it can be easy to get stuck in our own traditions too. Sometimes in a church, especially a church that is growing or changing, people can get set in their ways. This may have been what the Pharisees were feeling They claimed to have the authority of God and were respected by the people. And then here comes this new teacher who was taking some of their glory. Here was someone who was speaking from his own authority instead of quoting famous rabbis and even questioning their teaching and their tradition. But what about this uh, issue in verse 2, this hand washing? I think we can all agree that it's a good idea to wash our hands before we eat, right? That's what we tell our kids, Sometimes Caleb will get away with that, and then uh, (laughs) mom will have to remind him to get back and and wash his hands. Uh, But this isn't the kind of washing that the Pharisees were talking about, was it? This was a ceremonial washing ritual that was performed because, well, because that's what they did. It was a tradition. In order to try to keep the law perfectly, the religious leaders had developed hundreds of rules. That became traditions and eventually were given the same authority as God's law. And so the Pharisees, and this is amazing to me, that after all the miracles that were being done, the Pharisees were instead focused on their own religious traditions. Jesus heals the multitudes, but his disciples don't wash before they eat. Jesus walked on the water, but Jesus can't swim. Where did this tradition come from? Exodus 30 requires that priests wash their hands and feet before offering sacrifices or entering the tabernacle. There were mosaic laws that required washing after touching certain things like dead bodies and bodily fluids and certain dead animals or other unclean things before worshiping God. What was God communicating to his people with these ceremonies, with these ceremonial laws? They were not for God's benefit, they were for the benefit of his people. They were to demonstrate his holy righteousness to sinful humanity. Our God is a consuming fire, and so it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For example, Aaron's sons were consumed by fire when they made an unauthorized offering to God who had made it clear how they should approach him. When I first read the book of Leviticus, I was blown away by the seemingly endless list of ceremonial laws required by God. It's mind-numbing. And when they weren't followed to the letter, death was often a result. Uzzah just touched the ark to steady it when the oxen pulling the cart stumbled while it was being transported, and he was instantly struck down and killed by God. That seems extreme, doesn't it? It was probably just, it was a reflective thing to try to steady the ark. But have you ever asked yourself the question, what was the ark doing on a cart in the first place? God had given clear instructions about how the ark was to be transported. It was to be carried by Levites, not collected by David's men and put on a cart. This might seem extreme to us, but God's holy righteousness was not to be trifled with. And so during the captivity by the Babylonians, detailed commentaries on the law by well-meaning rabbis began to appear in the form of specific restrictions that were designed to build a hedge around the written law, guarding against any possible violation of the Torah, either by ignorance or accident. And by the time of Jesus, these traditions were seen as having equal authority with Scripture. Traditions can creep into our lives, too. Soon people don't even realize why they do certain things. In my parents' house, for example, it was seen as impolite to wear a hat in the house or while eating. You may ask, where did this tradition start I'll tell you. I don't know. But it was a tradition, because we've always done it that way. As I said, traditions are not always bad, but the important thing for Christians is guarding against traditions having equal or even superior authority to Scripture. Judging others who don't live up to our man-made traditions is sinful. Down through history, the Roman Catholic Church has put tradition on the same level as Scripture. Now, I don't think I'm speaking out of school about my Catholic brothers That's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, as codified by the First Vatican Council in 1870, which says the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra from the chair on matters of Christian doctrine. This is also how cults spring up out of Christianity. Some charismatic leader will claim to have this new revelation from God that is put on equal authority with the Bible. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which denies the eternal deity of Christ, began with the teachings of Joseph Smith. Oneness Pentecostalism, which denies the Trinity, began with the teachings of Robert T. McAllister. Jehovah's Witnesses and the teachings of Charles Taze Russell claim that Christ is a created being and a lesser God. All three began with a misunderstanding of the person, nature, And work of Jesus Christ, and the belief that their teaching was on an equal footing, or even superseded the plain testimony of Scripture, or as Jesus put it, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Here at the Wonder Lake Bible Church, we believe Scripture alone is the final authority for faith and practice. That does not mean that other sources can be helpful, but that Scripture has magisterial authority over what we believe and how we live. Although we have our favorite Bible teachers, don't we all have our favorite Bible teachers, we need to always remember to judge their teaching with the light of inspired Scripture. We follow the maxim in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, all things charity, right? It is an essential to our faith that Scripture is the ultimate authority. Well, that brings us to the second point, which is empty religion. And if you'll notice in verse 3, Jesus answers the scribes and Pharisees with this rhetorical question. So you remember uh, they asked Jesus why his disciples didn't eat before they washed. He answers them with another question. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? His question revealed that their traditions not only didn't make them right with God, they actually allowed them to break God's clear commands, as he goes on to explain in verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. This idea of giving to the temple in place of taking care of one's parents was the tradition called Corban, literally meaning offering. Anyone who made a Corban vow was required to dedicate money to God's temple that otherwise might have gone to support his parents. The Corban vow may have had sincere beginnings but it had become a religiously acceptable way to neglect parents, to hold on to one's own wealth and expect society to take care of their parents, thus circumventing the responsibility commanded by God. These religious leaders were replacing God's clear command to honor their own parents with their man-made traditions. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that traditions in and of themselves are bad. Traditions can be a very good thing, but we shouldn't think that just because our traditions have been practiced for years, they should be elevated to some sacred status. Traditions should help us understand God's commandment better, not become laws unto themselves or allow us to circumvent the spirit of God's law. Good traditions shine a light on God's word and move us to obedient service. We should celebrate our traditions with the prayer that Christ would be exalted and change them if they become more important or even equal to God's word. This is what Luther was fighting against. The traditions of the Roman Catholic Church and the word of the Pope have been raised to equal level with scripture. And as we have seen, this is also where the cults go wrong. They misrepresent and contradict the plain teaching of the Bible through the tradition and teaching of some charismatic leader in verse six, Jesus says, "For the sake of your own tradition, you have made the Word of God made void the Word of God. Jesus is saying that what Isaiah warned about applied to the Pharisees. When Isaiah wrote, he was speaking against the religious leaders of his day, but Jesus extends Isaiah's words into a prophecy about the Pharisees and the scribes. Of his day Isaiah writes in chapter 29 verse 13 And so the Lord says these people say they are mine they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me and they worship and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote Because of this I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders the wisdom of the wise will pass away and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear Here Isaiah is a saying that their worship is superficial and shallow. Their worship consists of man-made rules learned by mindless repetition. That's what the word rote in uh, verse 13 means, uh, mindless repeated tradition. Jesus uses this passage to describe the religious leaders he was answering in Matthew 15. Isaiah says the Lord will astound these hypocrites, With amazing wonders, and their wisdom will pass away. And in fulfillment of Isaiah, the amazing wonders are the miracles that Jesus was doing. And the wisdom that will pass away was the teaching of the Pharisees. According to these verses in Isaiah and Matthew, if I claim to worship and honor God while my heart is far from Him, my worship means nothing. It's not enough to study theology or even study the Bible, or act religiously, give to the church. Our actions and attitudes must be sincere if they are to honor God. If not, then Isaiah's words could also describe some of us in the church today. But even worse than that, Jesus accuses them of violating the clear command of God by substituting their own traditions. Jesus says they replace God's commandments with rules of their own, and tried to force the people to follow their traditions instead of obeying God's law. And so Jesus gives them this one example. They were sidestepping God's clear commandment to honor their father and mother by creating an exemption for those who would give to the Lord instead of taking care of their parents, thus making void the word of God with their man-made traditions. Then notice how Jesus uses the interaction as a teaching opportunity. And he called the people around him close to listen to his teaching, to make his point clear. Verse 10. And then he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So in verses 10 and 11, Jesus gathers the crowd and comes to the main point of his teaching. Jewish traditions about food and drink don't keep a person clean. That is to say, a person is not defiled by eating food with unwashed hands. Rather, it is what you say and think that make you unclean, according to Jesus. It isn't what goes into your mouth, it's what comes out of your mouth, out of your heart. God wants a true heart of worship, not that it benefits him, but that it benefits us. To worship in spirit and truth is to worship God for who he is with a pure spirit. It's what mankind was designed for. It's what it means to be a human. Now, Jesus' words might anger those who think that they are right with God because of their good works. And in verse 11, we see that Jesus' words obviously angered the, the Pharisees who refused to take his word to heart. In verse 12, and I, I, I get a little chuckle when I think of his disciples asking Jesus if he realizes that his words have offended the Pharisees. Like, Uh, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees are really honked off at you because of what you said? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Yeah, I think he knew. I think that was his intention. Maybe calling them hypocrites to their face might have given it away. But it's interesting to me that what really set them off, what really made them mad was the fact that Jesus was calling out their false teaching and their hypocrisy to the crowd. So in verse 13 and 14, Jesus tells his disciples to ignore the Pharisees because they're blind to God's truth. They refuse to see the truth, personified, standing right in front of them. And anyone who listened to their false teaching would risk spiritual blindness as well. The blind leading the blind into destruction. This is a reason why we need to be in the word ourselves and plugged into a healthy, well-balanced church with good, sound biblical teaching. I think we have that here, don't we? We need discernment skills that come from knowing what we believe and why we believe it. This will allow us to spot a counterfeit teaching on the horizon, weighing every teaching against the scriptures, just like the Berean. And finally, this brings us to our third point, which is guarding the heart. After they were alone with Jesus, the disciples asked for a further explanation. And not surprisingly, who do you think was the first one to say what was on everyone's mind? It was Peter, of course. And Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you, all, are you also still without an understanding? Do you not see that what goes, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Can you almost picture Jesus breathing out a sigh at Peter's question? It's like, Peter, really? You still don't understand. Some versions translated, are you still so dull and ignorant? And then Jesus explains again in verses 17 through 20 that food goes in and then it comes out, but our words come from our heart. Jesus is not interested in some man-made tradition, but rather the heart of the people. And then he lists some of the sins that demonstrate the defiled heart and makes the point, again, that eating with unclean hands, that's not the issue. But don't we sometimes do the same thing? Do we work to keep our outward appearances attractive while hiding what is deep down in our hearts where others can't see? Our heart is what's important to God. We get the word hypocrite from the Greek word meaning actor or pretender. There were times when these Greek actors would hold a mask over their face to play their part. But isn't that what we do sometimes? We act better than we are? I myself would be mortified if you all knew every thought that went through this fallen mind. But the question isn't, are we perfect? That's not the question. But are we honest with God about our hearts? And are we improving? Is God transforming our minds, as Paul says in Romans 12? When people become Christians, God gradually makes them different on the inside. This is the process we call... Sanctification, right. God promises to continue the process of change inside us if we ask and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have clean thoughts and motives, not just clean hands, not just masks or empty traditions. God works a miracle in our hearts as we trust the atoning death of Jesus as payment for our sins. The Bible calls this a new heart, being born again. We are a new creation in Christ. We stop thinking about God as some cosmic policeman and instead the lover of our soul who spared no cost to make us right with him. So what should we do? The first step is not a pleasant one. It's to honestly look at our own heart. A religious person will get to work on it. Empty religion is about work, and even non-Christians have this religious mindset. You invite a person to church, and they might say, well, I'm, I'm working on a few things in my life. When I get it worked out, uh, yeah, I'll come to church. That's like not going to the doctor until after you're cured of a disease. The gospel is for sinners, not for righteous. Religion can't change the heart, only the mask. In Colossians 2, Paul explains that the empty religious traditions cannot help us grow in Christ, where he writes, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Paul says that religion, based on human commandments, cannot help us resist evil desires. He says it's empty. Religion appeals to us, but it can't change our heart. So what is God's solution? Well, first, to realize the true condition of our hearts, as King David did when confronted with his sin, ask God. He'll show us what we need to repent from. Our heart transplant happens at conversion, but even though we are born again, we still have a sinful nature, or the old man, as Paul calls it. We have a new heart, but it must be guarded in a fallen world. In Proverbs 4.23, God gives us a warning to guard our hearts, where he says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. By way of illustration, uh, seven years ago, I was diagnosed with something called cardiomyopathy, which is just a fancy word for heart failure. When I got to the hospital, my heart function was 10%. Now, that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? And it is. It's a serious thing. But with the help of... um, a pacemaker to correct a timing issue that had caused my heart damage in the first place, Uh, medication, diet, and exercise, my heart function has gradually improved. And it was a long, tough road, but I now, I learned to guard my heart, to take care of it. And now I can lead a relatively normal life. And that brings us to the point of this illustration, How can we protect our new hearts from this fallen world and our own sinful nature? We find our answer in Paul's letters. Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul writes in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And again in Colossians chapter 3, where he writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died, and your life now hidden with Christ in God. So how do we live in this world and not get tainted by it? By the power of Christ in us. By living like the new creature creations that we are we have a new heart in christ and we are called to guard it as we grow in christ but we have an accuser that would like nothing better than destroy us because of his hatred for god and in today's culture it's very different from my parents world it's much worse i had it easy compared to today's youth For example, when I was a lad, we weren't tempted with pornography the way today's kids are. Sure, there were dirty magazines back then, but today the temptation is on every computer, on every phone, one click away. And Christians and elders and even pastors are not immune to the temptations of this world. The need to be vigilant, to guard our hearts, is greater today than it ever was, and we need not only guard our hearts, but especially the hearts of our children and our grandchildren. If I was told in my day some of the things that would be taught in public schools today, I wouldn't have believed it. We may not be able to guard our children from every temptation, but we can put up guardrails when they are young and pray that our example will guard their hearts as they grow into adults. So what? What do you want me to do with all this, as Pastor Dan likes to say? We agree that to keep the Word of God first in our lives and not let our traditions get in the way, let's worship, keep our worship meaningful and from the heart and not just mindless and empty. We have been given a new heart in Christ, so let's be careful to take care of it. So let's ask ourselves a few questions. Do my traditions replace the importance of God's word in my life? Is my worship sincere and from the heart? Am I dedicated in prayer and worship to the lover of my soul? Am I meeting regularly for Sunday worship and involved in a Bible study or a small group? If you're not plugged into a small group, you need to be. Just get a hold of one of the deacons or elders, or we'll we'll, uh, we'll help you find one. And so let's close in prayer. Lord in heaven, thank you for renewing our hearts. Help us now to protect them. Show us the things in our lives that offend you and give us the will and strength to grow in spirit until that glorious day when we will meet you in the air and praise your holy name forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.